Hello, everybody. This is Right Worshipful Brother Nick Ives, and I'm here with Online with Light, a podcast made for Freemasons by Freemasons. And I'm here with Right Worshipful Brother Stephen Allenson. How are you, Steve? Doing well, Nick. Thank you very much. How are you? I'm good. We are actually doing this podcast remotely. Is that correct? Because of the coronavirus. That's correct. You're uh, you're there. I'm here, and there's a whole bunch of land in between us. And, and but you know <laughs> we're we're being responsible as we can, and uh, but we're still getting the the job done. That's what matters, right? So we're doing it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Steve, I had you on today. Uh, you have a lot of different positions. I could probably pick a million topics to talk about with you. However, uh, today's topic uh, is going to be related to your job as the president of the New Haven Masonic Temple Association, which you've done for how many years? Oh, geez. Um, I, I've been on the board for a while. I think I've been president for about five now. Um, I've been on the board for almost 10, maybe more. It's it, Time flies when you're having fun. Now, that's a serious <laughs> commitment there, isn't it? Yeah, that's a long time. I mean, to, to be doing anything for a decade is pretty good. So uh, good for you for hanging in there. And um, so I think the question that I, I have and probably many people listening to this podcast would have is that keeping a Masonic building up and running is no easy task. And so I want to just ask you and have a, a conversation about uh, what do you see as some of the major challenges you've faced over the last 10 years working with the building? And um, how are you able to keep up such, I mean, the New Haven building is a palace. It's a temple of Masonic awesomeness. It's great. But I don't know how you, I don't know how you do it. So could you tell us how you as a leader uh, and the group have worked to keep the Masonic temple in New Haven uh, not just open, but in the great shape that it is, um, fine, and making it financially feasible for all the Masons to use. Sure, sure. And and just to give you a little bit of background and, and our listeners some background, um, there are a lot of proponents of a lodge is more than a building. And I 100% agree with that. You do not need a building like New Haven or even a smaller building to have a great lodge. But us in New Haven, we, we inherited it. The building was built in 1926, and we inherited um, this beautiful building that, that was built for Masonic lodges. So the question is, is, you know, maintaining it and making it work for all of for all of our needs versus other options or what else could be out there. And we all in New Haven feel very strongly that we need to maintain and keep this building going for as long as possible and as long as feasible, um, given the times that we're in. Um, I don't want anyone to misconstrue what I'm saying. There are no plans to sell the building. There are no plans to <laughs> do anything with the building. A million, a million hearts it. just dropped when you said that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But 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 there are there are many many wonderful lodges that have downsized, that have sold their buildings, or um, that have gone into almost a uh, a transient kind of a lodge where they meet in 
a variety of different places um, and still hold lodge. And there's nothing wrong with that. You, what I'm trying to say is you don't need a building like New Haven to have a great lodge. And I don't want anyone to think that that's what I'm trying to say. Um, <laughs> that being said, the structure of New Haven, um, the Temple Corporation was actually formed by a vote of the legislature in Hartford. They actually established the New Haven, wow. uh, well, the Masonic Temple Association of New Haven, Connecticut, Little known is the fact. official name. Wow. Um, and and so, so our legislature enacted this corporation. And this corporation is actually made up of several owning bodies. Um, the Valley of New Haven Scottish Rite owns um, three shares. The um, York Rite bodies in New Haven own three shares. Worcester Lodge, Hiram Lodge, Trumbull Lodge, and Cosmopolitan Lodge each own shares of the building as well. And that means we've got a whole bunch of different masons using the building for a variety of different ways but all in all it's for the betterment of the craft so this is not a uh, this is not a one lodge function or a uh, one man operation it, it, there's a lot of moving parts there so when you mention you mentioned there's a lot of shares there's everyone's got a little bit of a piece but each one of those groups has i'm sure very different needs and goals um, how does your temple board work to kind of keep everybody happy. In a perfect world, all Masons would get along. Now we know that that's not the case. So how do you, have you guys worked to kind of, kind of keep, maintain peace and harmony, first of all, but to make sure that everyone's needs are being met as the building grows over time? The, the most important thing is, and this is just a, this is a theme throughout Masonry and throughout life, it's communication. You know, if you want to be successful in in anything you do that involves multiple people, you need to communicate well. And we have a great, great group of guys that can communicate with each other on the drop of a hat through email, through text. Um, everybody's very available. Uh, we meet uh, anywhere between every month to every other month, depending on the needs of the building. And we really discuss everything we we need to discuss um everything is out in the open there's no um secrets really kept and and we're very transparent about how things function and what we need to do Uh, that i think really gives everybody a good feel of how the temple should function and creates a cohesive group uh, to be able to get things done now over time the challenges have changed. I, I mean, you talk, I didn't know about that legislature fact. That's really a neat fact. Um, but from 1926 to now, like, so you're, you're now kind of the custodian of the building in an era when buildings are, you know, failing a lot of the time. What are some of the things in the last 10 years you've said like, oh, this is a new wrinkle. And I know that maintenance can certainly be part of it too, but there are also kind of changes to society as well that make buildings like that hard to run and keep running. Like how, what have you seen in the last 10 years that uh, has been a challenge? Well, there's two, there's, there's two major, um, major hardships and, and a few real minor ones uh, that I think are worth mentioning. The, the, the biggest one is mo- money, cost, uh, taxes, and 
cost of keeping the building up and running, insurance, um, cost of heating, you know, money makes the world go round and without it, we have, we have problems. We also have the building staffed. So there are salaries, there's insurance, uh, workers comp insurance that's needed. Um, and supplies, the cost of these increase every year while the income to the building may not. And that, that causes a lot of balancing that needs to happen. Plus with an older building, stuff just needs to get done. The, it, it's brick on the outside. So there's pointing that always needs to be, needs to be done. Uh, the boiler constantly needs to have repairs performed on it and parts replaced. It's an old building. So there's, you know, at a drop of a hat, you know, one or several things could go wrong at any time. And it needs to be, you know, needs to be looked at and fixed promptly, but that all costs money. So we have to really, uh, really work hard at our budget and maintaining that we have reserves in case of an emergency. And uh, Rent Worshipful Brother Salvatore Ferrigno is our uh, treasurer. And Sal just does an amazing job with making sure that we have enough reserves on hand, that all of our needs are met um, on that end. Uh, some, of the, some of the smaller changes are, are the people. People have changed. We're working longer hours. Husbands and wives are both working. Kids are in daycare a lot. And there's, there's a lot of societal functioning that happens. So people's ability to participate and chip in time-wise, even if it's just to get quotes for a repair to, let's say, the floor or a boiler, that takes time. It takes effort. And having people to be able to do that and have the time to do that, it just is getting tougher and tougher. So when you when you're looking at that, I think a lot of people look at the building and they go, "Oh, they must have a pile of money, and they can just grab the pile of money and pull it out, and they're good." They're, you know, if you're thinking about, for example, like a uh, like Choate when they build a new building, they endow it before the first shovel hits the ground. Um, but I don't think that's the case. And as someone who's seen the a building, you know, being in Meriden where a building didn't make it, um, that assumption is often incorrect that there's just a pile of money sitting there waiting. It, it, it is largely supported by the lodges and the groups. Is that correct? That's correct. And we made a decision not to rent out the building to outside organizations uh, about a year or two ago. While it was bringing in some income, it was bringing in income that covered less than half of our fuel costs. And the risks of having outside organizations in the building, putting extra wear and tear, insurance concerns, and everything else, it just it just wasn't worth the risk reward. The the actual financial piece of it is we run tight. It would be nice if we had an endowment where, in a economy other than the one that we have right now well, that's right. would, would be performing Great timing and, and, for this and, podcast <laughs> and giving and giving us uh giving us a return um and we do and we do have an endowment and it does help but 
the truth of it is, in a drop of a hat, we could have to spend a quarter of that endowment on repairs without without blinking. And if that happens, I don't know anywhere that you could invest, you know, three quarters of, of an endowment and get your get your other 25 percent back in a year or two. You know, I mean, outside of illegal sources. Right. You know? Right. It's, right. Just, it's just not possible. <laughs> so, so, so let's think about the possibility. I, I think when you you've done a great job of making that building sustainable. And I say that because I've heard it third party from Thank a you. lot of brothers that say, Oh, St- Steve's going to make us pay, but you know what? If we don't pay, the building's not here. So, um, how can not just new Haven, but all buildings, what are you considering? What are you thinking about? What creative steps are you taking to say, we really want to make this thing keep going on. And, and unless, you know, money rains from the sky, which at this point it's not, um, how are you planning on making this work in the long term? A couple of things I think are, are very helpful. Uh, for the first thing is, you know, like I said before, uh, communication. You have to be fairly transparent about the financial status of the organization and, and where things are. You have to have open meetings and you know, allow people, you know, to, to, to come in. Now in New Haven, you know, our agenda is set prior to the meeting. Otherwise we would be there all night, but anyone can add something to the agenda by just letting me know 24 hours before the meeting and it will make the agenda. So that, that helps. The, the other thing is consistency. If a building is not doing well and not meeting its costs, which we've had years where we've come close to to having to dip into principal. Fortunately, we have we haven't had to do that, um, but it's it's a it's a possibility. Consistency, in my opinion, is where you really need to to stay on, rather than special assessments or a um, random fundraiser or something that just kind of pops up if you consistently you know raise contributions which every building will have to do regardless because costs are increasing every day if you have a set number or a percentage that that increases by everyone knows hey at the worst case if there's an increase this year it's going to be X percent. And we may get that percent again next year, depending on how things go. But you, we know that it's not going to exceed that number. And that, that helps because it's a known factor. It's, it's not like when the towns reassess their mill rates, they can go up or down by who knows how much. And it's totally, and it's totally, unknown until all of the numbers come in having a a fixed number that if contributions are going to be raised it'll be raised by that amount really tends to help people assess and plan plan their own budgets within their lodges so i found that very helpful um the the biggest the biggest thing is having a group of guys 
that understand the, 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 the way of the world, really, which is these things cost money. We have to keep things going. We can have a wish list, but our wish list is not our priority list. And it, it makes a big difference to be able to have all of that out in the open, have a group of guys that understand, hey, this building is not here for us to hang out whenever we want. It's a building for our lodges to do lodge-related activities, and it costs money to maintain that so that it can be here for our children's future. Now, and, and I think I think in New Haven we have that. Okay. So 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 the the right the right people really makes a big difference. Well, that's that's really interesting the way you put that about that. Like it's almost like a culture um, around that, which I think is interesting. And um, when you talk about the members, I, I just kind of glanced. I was wondering. I said because there are five lodges. Well, I should say four and a half. There you have four lodges that meet there consistently, and you have a fifth lodge that like Quintessentia, which comes in sometimes and uses the building. Mm-hmm. Um, the you have about 550 to 600 members in those lives. I looked at the, the directory list and just kind of counted quickly from what their uh, reported membership is. I, I, my question to you is just thinking about your cost per year, and I'm just using that the lodges as an example. And I know that there's York Right Bodies and Scottish Right Bodies there as well. Um, but as membership declines, um, how what choices are you facing as a building? committee to say well as if membership keeps going down we're going to have to raise rent but the lodges are saying we have less revenue um how are you managing uh kind of those relationships because at, at times i could imagine that that would be adversarial if it w- and i know you talk about communication being so important but um how how are you able to not always just take that decline and say well we just we need more money and and we go to the lodge and they go well we have less members than we used to have so like, what's changing culturally in masonry in general when it relates to that? that, that you know, that's that's an interesting question because the the we've been pretty fortunate that despite the declines in membership, um, our contributions haven't increased to a point where we've had. Um, many organizations come back and say there's there's a problem. Um, the, the the thing that I think a lot of Masons don't realize, and this is probably um, I, I'm fortunate being a member of of Hiram uh, because we have the the records. When Hiram started out and up and until the the temple in New Haven was built, and even for several years afterwards, the cost of dues compared to the average annual salary today would be you know somewhere around two thousand dollars a year, um, give or take, you know. And what had happened was, over time, we were fortunate that with the building that certain brothers in their wills had, had left some money to, to help keep the building going. 
that's also on a decline with the rising costs of healthcare and nursing homes and everything else. People are passing away with potentially bequests in their wills, but no cash in their pocket. Um, it's like they're outliving their money a little and it's, bit. It's hard. <laughs> right. So, so, so the thing is, is that if a lodge isn't able to get enough funds to cover its cost of functioning, uh, which includes a rent, you know, then something needs to change. Either dues need to change or the lodge needs to needs to hold fundraisers and we've talked about even having the building do specific fundraisers to try and increase increase awareness and increase growth in in years that that the stock market has performed very well that becomes a a different conversation than in years when it doesn't perform very well so so it's really you know it's 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 really a mixture of a lot of things to be able to cover the costs. But if we think that our members are not going to pay two thousand dollars a year, or whatever that number, you know, equals out to be to cover the costs, I'm just using the sure, <laughs> the old sure. historical number. But but if our members aren't aren't going to pay that, or if we don't think our members are are going to pay that, which I, I personally don't think they will. We need to be creative in how we're going to cover these costs. And, you know, some lodges have had lodge cleanup days and brothers come down and they do work on the buildings. That's another way of covering the costs. Um, th there's a variety of ways to do it. But at the end of the day, if there's not enough funds to cover the costs of maintaining the building, the cost of doing repairs or brothers willing to take some of their free time to just, you know, mop the floors and, you know, scrub the walls every once in a while that, you know, then unfortunately I don't know a way to keep to keep a, a building solvent there's no magic formula here sure well i i can say that just even at the lodge level uh meridian lodge depends i don't want to say depends but does a fundraiser at the daffodil festival every year we make a few thousand dollars off of that to supplement the lodge budget to you know pay for pretty much all of our events or come out of that proceeds um, with coronavirus there's no daffodil festival so <laughs> all of a sudden we're faced with okay well it's a good thing we're not doing uh we just did a table lodge, but you know, what happens on awards night? How do we fund that? And you know, nobody wants to dip into trustee funds to do that. Uh, but there's these unexpected things that just kind of happen. And, um, when dues are low, sometimes it's hard to raise them as we looked at the same issue. Uh, you know, how much would, uh, the dues of yesterday be worth today? And, you know, you can do a quick inflation calculator. It seems even at Meridian Lodge, like we looked at the 1950s or so, and, uh, you know, their dues equated to, uh, in today's dollars, I think it was like $410. That's in the fifties. Okay. And 
ours just the lodge side only is is very low i think it's uh i think it's 70 dollars or so a year which is very light so i mean netflix is more expensive so yeah i'm, I'm not i'm not aware of many lodges that have dues over the 200 dollars a year mark and i think that and i think 200 dollars is extremely rare i think most lodges are well under 140 150 a year which is you know what 11 dollars a month $12 a month at most. Sure. Which is not a lot. <coughs> no, no. And you know, it's, it's, it's hard to change, to change people's mentality uh, on these things. Uh, but there's, there's a cost to functionality. Uh, there's a brother from Germany that's come to visit us um, several times. Uh, Andre press. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with him. Um, but Andre's gone around the world and tried to promoting um, his Masonic model, which is that the lodge has its operating property, and then the lodge also owns rental property to businesses, and that can bring, that can certainly bring in some income to to cover costs which is great but it can also bring in problems you have to have you know people that are willing to do the work and that's and, not easy with a rental property that's a lot of work i i mean i i gotta i gotta tell you i i don't i i don't know how many lodges have members that can do all of the lectures in our ritual book for forgetting forgetting you know members that are willing to come in and sweep a floor <laughs> you know we don't we don't have members a lot of our lodges don't have members that that know our entire ritual book you know that if we wanted to do from cover to cover most lodges say oh you know what so and so from this other lodge knows this part so let's bring him in because we don't have a guy that knows that part. And that happens a lot. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that's part of the culture that, that we're dealing with. Where with a, with a building, we, we would have to say, hey, we either need somebody to act as a manager of rental properties if we wanted to follow Andre's model. Or we would need to pay that, pay somebody outside of the fraternity. And Which if we had somebody in the fraternity, right they might, we would still probably have to pay them something, but we wouldn't have to pay them what we would pay somebody from the streets. Sure. So let's shift gears from the finance side to the actual building side. Um, as a person in charge, I, I know you want to be proud of your building and you are very proud of your building. What's some of the things that you think are important to a Masonic building as a place where Masons can come and really feel like it's a quality, awesome experience? What, what do you, from a physical building perspective, do to say, I'm proud of this, you should be too? Well, I mean, the, the, most, the most important thing in, in a lodge is the chairs. And you got to have seating. So if you don't have enough seating for for everybody that is going to come into a meeting, 
Then you have folding chairs, which are notoriously uncomfortable. Uh, so having enough seating while the meeting is going on, to me, is a, is a huge, huge priority. Uh, the other the other thing that I think is very important is just the, the simple things, the background, the colors of the walls, the the ambient lighting and how that comes into effect makes makes an atmosphere. And Sorry, my phone was going off with another call. Sorry. That's very weird. That's okay. <laughs> this is the this is the perils uh, of distance communications. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you for staying with us. So 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 so, so yeah, I, I think that just the colors, the themes, um, that makes a that makes a big difference. If if you were to take a a warehouse room, you could make it a very beautiful lodge by just getting some decent seating, some uh, some carpet, the furniture around. Um, all of those things come into play as far as atmosphere and as far as uh, appearance are concerned. And when somebody can walk into something and say, hey, this has a museum-type feel. This has a aura to it. Uh, it has it has a, a presence um, that that breeds pride and it breeds a, a a great sense of community as far as working together to 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 keep a lodge functioning. So if you have peeling ceilings and you know chips on the wall or just just awkward something that's awkward that's been hanging on the wall for a while just because it's always been there take it down got to go paint over it you you, you got to you, you got to make it look like and i hate to say this but if you look at the old catholic churches in europe if you look at the uh the buildings in the national treasure movies or the buildings in the dan brown movies if you get your lodge to look like that that's what people are expecting that's what people want to see and if you over modernize or go outside of that bubble then you're kind of playing with somebody somebody else's impressions of what they were looking for 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 a brand new candidate that's never come into to a masonic lodge before what does he expect that's interesting he's looking for he's that. looking yeah. for an old ancient kind of feel so if you were going to build a building today, if let's say all of a sudden tomorrow I hit Powerball and I call you up and I say, Steve, I need you to build me a Masonic building. I want to start something new. You know, we've got the budget, we've got, but it's got to be sustainable for the long term, like well beyond my years. Where would you build it? How would you build it? Well, so where is an interesting question? Um, I, I would probably say 
off of 91 or 95 uh, within five to 10 minutes from, from, uh, from an exit uh, off of 91 or 95. You want it to be accessible to the majority of people that, that are going to come, come to it. Um, as far as the type of, of place, I don't know that it really matters. The center of towns are great because it gives exposure. It makes the lodge part of the community, but that's also the expensive part of the real estate. <laughs> so, so if you can find it great, but if not, you know, Meridian did, did, did a, did a great, great job and your lodge is absolutely gorgeous and it's in a it's in a shared building um which is which is which is wonderful but it could be in an industrial zone in a warehouse as long as it's framed out properly um and that's what i'm talking about when i talk about the the look and the 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 appeal of it so it would really depend what you know what's available on the market at the time that you're looking to buy and you know how big you're thinking of going. If you think that your average meeting is going to have 30 30 people there at most and at an, at a you know in in the with the idea that you know let's say someone from your lodge is elected to serve as grandmaster and they wanted to do the installation in the lodge, what's the maximum number of people that would, that would come there? You know, is, is it going to be full grand lodge that you want to have seating for? Cause that's going to be pretty tough. Sure. On the other hand is, you know, are we going to do seating for, you know, 50 to a hundred? That will be a lot easier. It just really depends on, on what functionality, the lodge is looking for and i think most lodges are probably looking right around that you know 50 to 100 magic number of seats sure uh, just just to guess um but the the most the most comfortable lodges that that i've been in are smaller the, the it's a smaller room so when you have your 30 guys there and this is something that we don't have in new haven 30 guys in new haven the room still seems pretty empty 40 guys the room still seems pretty empty sure. so so um if if you go out to to uh um the lodge in old saybrook you know they've got a they've got a nice small lodge room it's beautiful and the color schemes are great because it's 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 not it's not white i think they're i think the the room's like a topish kind of color huh so there's nothing there's nothing like you know offensive or um blinding by coming into the room and it's gotten it's 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 all modern just like meridian but it's got an old feel you know if you walk into meridian lodge today and you and you walked in there you would not know that meridian lodge used to be in another building you would not know that this isn't an ancient and honorable lodge from, you know, very early on in, in Masonry in Connecticut. And that's, that's what I think getting the, the right furniture is about. Would 
is, you know, wood, wooden furniture, um, the, uh, either a tiled floor or a, or a wooden altar of sorts. Something that brings you back a little bit. Proper, yeah. properly. You know, something that, that you could picture your grandfather kneeling at the same altar that you're kneeling on is is what I think is, is going to give a, a lodge a successful appeal. And Meridian Lodge does it. And Sanawa Lodge does it. Corinthian Lodge does it. The lodges in New Haven do it. Temple Lodge in Cheshire does it. I mean, all of these lodges are in very, very different types of buildings, some newer than others, but they've all got a feel of, or an aura, I guess, to, to, to use more of an esoteric term, of ancient masonry. It's like a, a sacred space. It, it carves it out as being sacred and something that has uh, a long staying power and, uh, and I, I could totally feel that. And uh, I, I do have one more question for you. This is going to be our last sure. question for the podcast. Recently, you and the Temple Board had to make the call to close the building. And looking back now, it's obvious that that's what happened because things happened very quickly. The whole coronavirus social distancing thing happened. And that must have been very challenging for you as someone in leadership working with the board to do um, you know, how did you come up with that choice at the time you did? And, uh, you know, it, like I said, it must've been a real challenge because I'm sure people were saying you're overreacting, but, uh, looking now, it looks like that was kind of the right call. So could you just walk us through a little bit about that and, uh, this decision to close a Masonic building, uh, and Masons, we almost never close anything. So I'd love to hear your perspective on that. Sure. So, so there, it's it's all it's very difficult in New Haven because the like I said the building is owned by multiple lodges and and other Masonic organizations so they're owners they they own the building they can you know they can come in you know on their on their nights and and do what they what they need to do you know as long as they're not in violation of the bylaws and so so to to make a decision to say hey um you know we need to close this building off to our owning bodies it was was very difficult for me because i certainly don't want to take anything away from any of the owners or any mason whatsoever if anything i want to add to the add to the craft but i also have a responsibility and we have employees in that building and our employees vary in age, but they're on the older side. And I did some research and I uh, follow brother Oscar Aline, uh, who works with the CDC. Um, and I've been following him very regularly about the uh, contagiousness of, of the virus and in order to protect our employees, which we have a duty to do as a good employer, having traffic maintained in the through back and forth in the lodge room puts our puts our employees at risk. 
and it puts us all at risk. And at what point is it okay to put them at risk so that a lodge could potentially meet if they wanted to or cancel if they didn't want to? And <clears throat> unfortunately, at the time that we made our decision, not all lodges had decided whether whether they were going to meet or not. And I felt very strongly that we needed to protect our employees. So I sent a, uh, an email out to, um, to the members of the board who got back to me very quickly and, and voted, um, you know, what to, what to do. Um, some, some members were upset that the decision was taken out of the hands of the lodges and that the owners of the building should be able to meet there regardless. It shouldn't be the uh, Masonic Temple Association's decision. But at the end of the day, in order to maintain our building and make sure that it functions and that nothing breaks, we need to have our staff there regularly. So we couldn't dismiss our staff and just say, hey, if you want to meet, meet at your own risk, because we have to have staff there. And thank God we do, because we just had a boiler problem that came up. No kidding. <laughs> so our, our staff could not have safely been in the building if lodges were, were meeting during the coronavirus, um, you know, outbreak, which is still going on, but it, w it, it wouldn't have been safe to have our employees there. And some of our employees have as much, if not more pride in the building as than I do. And they wouldn't miss a day of work, you know, if they, you know, if, uh, if they uh, had any choice about it. So these guys really work hard. They're really dedicated to the building. And I, I just couldn't see putting them at risk. And most of the board agreed. Most of the board felt that it would be completely irresponsible to keep the building open and allow congregation of, of masonry. You know, the organization... And the fraternity is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be enjoyable. And it's supposed to be of value to all of our members. And if something happens internally or externally that can change that, then we're not doing things properly. And unfortunately, the coronavirus could put brothers, employees, family members of our brothers at serious risk. And it's just not worth it. It's it's not worth having a lodge me in person that can potentially have someone spread that virus to everybody there. Because I don't know how many hands you shook today. You don't know how many hands I shook today. That's true. And Masons, we like to shake hands. <laughs> we, <laughs> we do. Isn't it's that the truth? We shake them on the way in. We shake them on the way out. There's a lot of shaking. <laughs> and, God for, and God forbid you miss somebody's hand. I know it. I know it. Well, that's really an interesting perspective. <laughs> and and when we're recording this, the date is the 29th of March, 2020. So, uh, you know, right now we really don't know. We're still on the upswing with the uh, the virus and everything else. And so uh, we don't know where this is going to go. So, I mean, I'm hopeful that we're 
we're back real soon. I think that's everyone's hope. Yeah, and I'm I'm fairly confident that that things will start to be on the upswing, uh, you know, fairly fairly quickly. Um, this is you know, this is just a, a little hiccup in the adventure that we're all part of, you know, and well, we just need to keep our smiles going. Well, I hope that as we social distance and uh, we're releasing this podcast during the social distancing, I, I want to say that I appreciate you coming on the show, talking about your experience with the building, and hopefully it's made people think about their building maybe a little bit. Uh, I have had some, some of my favorite memories have taken place in the New Haven Temple, and I'm sure I've got a lot more to go. So uh, thank you for being with us, Steve. I really appreciate that, and I really appreciate all you do for Freemasonry. Oh, thank you, Nick, and I appreciate you having me, and I appreciate all you do for Freemasonry as well. Oh, thanks, Steve. I appreciate it. Well, this is Nick Ives with Steve Allenson, and this is Online with Light. Thanks a lot for listening.